The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from the Bloomberg Interactive Burger Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Tuesday, January 18th, 2022. Coming up this hour. Stocks fall and Treasury yields jump as Wall Street gets back to work. Oil continues its rally, hitting the highest level since 2014. Goldman Sachs kicks off a busy week for earnings. And airlines warn of catastrophic disruptions tied to the rollout of 5G. Authorities say the woman killed in a New York subway attack by a homeless man was an advocate for the homeless. Plus, the Senate is scheduled to debate a voting rights bill today. I'm Michael Barr. More ahead. I'm John Stashauer in sports. The Knicks and Nets suffered holiday matinee losses. A win for the Islanders. The Rams beat the Cardinals in the NFL playoffs. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak on Bloomberg 1130 New York. Bloomberg 99.1 Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 106.1 Boston. Bloomberg 960 San Francisco. Sirius XM 119. And around the world on BloombergRadio.com and via the Bloomberg Business app. Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures are tumbling this morning. Coming up to 501 on Wall Street. And we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. Right now, S&P futures are down 53 points. Dow futures down 265. And NASDAQ futures down 278. Nathan. All right, Nick. Karen, we got to start with markets this morning. Treasury yields are jumping while stocks continue their slide. Let's get the very latest live with Bloomberg's John Tucker. John, good morning. And good morning, Nathan. Two- and 10-year Treasury yields are up to levels not seen since before the pandemic. Investors increasingly concerned elevated inflation will force the Fed to tighten policy faster than expected. Higher rates means future profits are worth less today. That's hurting growth stocks, especially technology. Right now, NASDAQ futures down 1.8%. What could come to the rescue is company profits. A strategist at J.P. Morgan Chase say global corporate earnings will deliver significant beats this year. Live in New York, I'm John Tucker, Bloomberg Daybreak. John, thank you. Well, we're also seeing oil on the move this morning. Brent crude is trading at the highest level in more than seven years. We get more from Bloomberg's Paul Wallace in Dubai. There's strong consensus that Omicron is not going to have that much of an impact on oil demand. And at the same time, you've got some of the world's biggest producers, oil producers, including many OPEC members, very much struggling to raise production. So the thinking is that especially as we go further into the year when uh, demand should be rising quite strongly, we're going to see um, supply problems. Bloomberg's Paul Wallace says Goldman Sachs is predicting $100 oil in the third quarter. And checking prices right now, Brent is up 1% at $87.34 a barrel. NYMEX crude oil up 1.5% at $85.02. Well, earnings is the other big item to watch this morning, Karen. Bank results continue to roll in this week, and Goldman Sachs reports ahead of today's opening bell. We get a preview from Bloomberg Global Finance correspondent Shanali Basak. 
We've had the first set of earnings for J.P. Morgan, Citigroup, and Wells Fargo. And with fixed income trading expectations pretty much below expectations for the biggest of the firms, that sets the bar pretty high for Goldman Sachs, which has had a banner year in commodities trading. The hope is that they will outperform expectations. Yet we're also going to watch expenses because those traders will need to get paid more to be retained. At J.P. Morgan, expenses are going up, and the expectation is the same for Goldman Sachs. So what will profitability look look like moving forward. In New York, I'm Shanali Basic, Bloomberg Daybreak. Shanali, thank you. Let's turn to the pandemic now. The latest debate centers on whether the pandemic is now shifting to an endemic. That would put COVID-19 on even footing with diseases like the flu. Dr. Anthony Fauci says it's too early to tell. It's an open question as to whether or not Omicron is going to be the live virus vaccination that everyone is hoping for because you have such a great deal of variability with new variants emerging. Dr. Anthony Fauci made the comments yesterday at the World Economic Forum's Davos Agenda online conference. Well, meantime, Karen, we're getting early results out of Israel on the effectiveness of a fourth vaccine dose. Let's get the details live from Bloomberg's Renita Young. Good morning, Renita. Good morning, Nathan. A trial in Israel shows that a fourth dose of COVID-19 vaccine from Pfizer only offered partial defense against the Omicron variant. And overall, the lead researcher says shots which were more effective against previous strains offered less protection with Omicron. Now, Israel started rolling out a fourth dose to some residents back in December, but the lead researcher says results did not support a wider rollout to the whole population. And just last week, the European Union warned that frequent COVID-19 boosters could weaken the immune system and may not be feasible. Live in New York, I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Daybreak. Renita, thank you. The pandemic is once again impacting the Olympics. China is halting ticket sales to the general public. Instead, Beijing will invite select groups of spectators to attend the Games. We get more from Bloomberg's Yvonne Mann in Hong Kong. This is quite a reversal because originally the plan was to already ban foreign spectators, but... They were supposed to allow residents to be spectators for the Olympic Games, and they were supposed to operate in this sort of closed-loop system. But that is all changing as we speak. Bloomberg's Yvonne Mann says these changes come just three weeks before the Olympic Games kickoff in Beijing. Turning to Europe now, political turmoil is in focus in the U.K. A former top aide to Boris Johnson is accusing the prime minister of lying about parties held at Downing Street during the pandemic. Let's go to London, get the latest from Bloomberg's Ewan Potts. Good morning, Ewan. Good morning, Nathan and Karen. Dominic Cummings says the UK leader was aware of and permitted a drinks party at Downing Street at the height of this strict lockdown in the first wave of the pandemic. That account from the former top aide to the Prime Minister who's been outspoken in his criticism conflicts with what Boris Johnson recently told Parliament. In London, I'm Ewan Potts, Bloomberg Daybreak. Ewan, thank you. Back here in the U.S., the pending rollout of 5G service is hitting fresh roadblocks. Airlines warn federal officials of catastrophic disruptions if wireless companies continue to deploy 5G services. Amy Morris has the latest from our Bloomberg 99.1 newsroom in Washington. The trade association Airlines for America warns the traveling and shipping public could be impacted by the new signals, which they say could interfere with altitude measuring instruments. AT&T and Verizon already have an agreement with federal regulators to launch this new service on January 19th. In a memo to staff seen by Bloomberg News, JetBlue CEO Robin Hayes says the airline faces, quote, the potential for significant disruptions to flights starting tomorrow. 
In Washington, I'm Amy Morris, Bloomberg Daybreak. Thanks, Amy. Right now, S&P futures are down 54 points. Dow futures down 273. NASDAQ futures are lower by 278 points. That's a decline of 1.8%. The 10-year Treasury down 11.30 seconds. The yield 1.82%. Straight ahead, your latest local headlines and a check of sports. This is Bloomberg. It's now 507 on Wall Street. We're at 30 degrees in Central Park. We've already got an incident on the roads, an overturned vehicle eastbound LIE between Utopia Parkway and Francis Lewis Boulevard. Details coming up in traffic. First, Michael Barr with more on what's going on in New York and around the world. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Nathan. Police in New York City say the man accused of killing a woman by pushing her into the path of the subway is homeless, emotionally disturbed, and under police guard at a hospital. Marshall Simon is expected to be arraigned for killing 40-year-old Michelle Goh Saturday morning in the Times Square subway station. The killing comes less than a month into the first term of Mayor Eric Adams, who campaigned on making the city safer. When you have an incident like this, the perception is what we're fighting against. Adams also says the victim was a management consultant and did volunteer work to help the homeless. New York Junior League President Dana Cassidy. She clearly had a very strong passion for working one-on-one with these populations in need. Cassidy called Go a compassionate soul. As for the 61-year-old suspect, he was arrested and confessed shortly after. The Senate is scheduled debate a voting rights bill today. Excuse me for one second. My apologies that uh, they're going to try to debate a bill uh, to allow more access to the ballot box. And I tell you what. I'm going to pick up from here. Yes, sir, if you can come out of this. Okay, no problem. I'll just pick up from here. This uh, measure that uh, Michael just mentioned is expected to face a steep hurdle when Senate Democrats challenge the filibuster rule requiring 60 votes to advance legislation on Capitol Hill. Since uh, 2020, 19 states have passed bills that restrict access to voting. So we'll be watching that very closely, of course. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand says a 19-story building ravaged by a deadly fire earlier this month should not be exempt from having a sprinkler system installed no matter how old it is. Senator toured the 19-story building in the Bronx where 17 people were killed. We also learned from the firefighters that an old building like this is grandfathered in and doesn't have sprinklers. That's unacceptable. Senator Gillibrand and Congressman Richie Torres, who represent that section of the Bronx where the fire happened, they're sponsoring legislation to have heat sensors in apartments. A year-old report by Washington's Afghanistan watchdog has now been declassified. It shows that it warned back in early 2021 that the Afghan Air Force would collapse without critical U.S. aid and training. That was months before President Biden announced the end to America's longest war. It is now 5.09 on Wall Street. And it's time for a Bloomberg Sports Update. Good morning, John Stashauer. Good morning, Nathan. Looked like Odell Beckham was going to be a star wideout for the Giants for a long time. Giants gave him a big contract, and then the recently departed general manager, Dave Gettleman, famously said, well, we didn't sign him to trade him, and then he traded him to Cleveland. Didn't work out there. The Browns shifted to the Rams, and Beckham, a big factor in their playoff win last night. Here comes the snap to Stafford. Looking left, throwing left, the fade to OBJ. Airborne with a two-handed grab. Touchdown, OBJ. Touchdown, LA. He's ready to call. Beckham later threw a 40-yard pass. The Rams led the Cardinals 28 to nothing. They won 34 to 11. Matthew Stafford in his first season in LA does something he never did in 12 years in Detroit. He won a playoff game and the Rams go to Tampa Bay on Sunday. 
The Giants search to replace Gettleman has seen them conduct nine Zoom interviews. Reportedly, they've cut the field to five and will now begin to bring candidates in. The Knicks had won three in a row, five straight at home, and Charlotte was without its young star LaMelo ball. Hornets still won easily, 97-87. Only that close as the Knicks made up some ground at the end. Miles Bridges, 38 points for the Hornets. He had 22 in the first quarter. Another home game tonight, Knicks in Minnesota. The Nets without the injured Kevin Durant lost at Cleveland, 114-107. to KD's going to be out the next four to six weeks. The Islanders coming on after the slow start, a 4-1 win over Philadelphia. Battle of Brooklyn, LIU beat San Francis. Daniel Medvedev, easy win at the Australian Open. Layla Fernandez lost her first-round match. She went to last year's U.S. Open final. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports. Nathan? All right, John, thanks. Equity futures are falling. Treasuries tumbling. Oil on the rise this morning. S&P futures are down 51 points. Dow futures down 255. NASDAQ futures down 269 points. The 10-year Treasury yield up to 1.82%. Analysis of the market and the path for the Fed next with former Gartman Letter publisher Dennis Gartman. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg 1130 weather, sunny, breezy, and cold today. High near 35 degrees. We'll be in the mid-40s, mostly cloudy tomorrow. Wintry mess tomorrow night, but it'll clear out early Thursday. Turn partly sunny with a high in the mid-30s. Currently, 31. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business App, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. Stocks falling this morning amid a jump in global bond yields as investors prepare for the removal of central bank support. U.S. stock index futures are also dropping. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. Right now, S&P futures are down 52 points. Dow futures are down 258. NASDAQ futures down 266. That's down 1.7%. Ten-year Treasury down 11.30 seconds, yield 1.82%. The yield on the two-year, 1.03%. NYMEX crude oil is up 1.6% of $1.36 at $85.18 a barrel. COMEX gold down 4 tenths percent or $7.50 at $18.08.80 an ounce. The euro, 1.1395 against the dollar. British pound, 1.3623. The yen's at 114.62. And Bitcoin this morning at 41000 $990. Today we are looking for a report on Empire Manufacturing at 8.30 Wall Street time. And Goldman Sachs is among companies scheduled to report earnings today. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Karen. Senators are returning to Washington under intense pressure to pass voting legislation in the face of stark criticism from civil rights leaders. The Senate is set to launch debate today after civil rights leaders implored them to change the rules and break a Republican-led filibuster that has stalled the voting bill. A trade association representing major U.S. airlines asked Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg and the nation's top communications and aviation regulators to prevent wireless carriers from implementing 5G services close to airports. In the NFL, the Rams rolled over the Cardinals 34-11. So now here's the breakdown for the divisional round playoffs. In the NFC, the Rams face Tampa Bay. Green Bay hosts the 49ers. AFC, the Bengals are at the Titans. The Bills are at the Chiefs. In the NBA, the Knicks and Nets lost. Celtics and Wizards won. NHL, the Islanders won. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg, Nathan.
Michael, thanks for coming up to 520 on Wall Street, live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. We want to get right to the action in markets this morning with Dennis Gartman, the chairman of the University of Akron's Endowment Investment Committee, of course, former publisher of the Gartman Letter. As we watch this broad equity sell-off around the world this morning, Dennis, coming back from the long holiday weekend, the two-year Treasury yield back above 1%. How much further does this have to go? A lot farther, I'm afraid. I hate to tell you this, but I think the bear market began sometime about nine weeks ago. Without getting too esoteric, I tend to look at technicals first and fundamentals second. And the technicals turned bearish nine weeks ago when you had the NASDAQ trace an outside reversal week. That is, it made a new all-time high, closed below the previous week's low. Those are very rare circumstances from a technical perspective. When they happen, you need to pay attention to them. And I think that was the start of the bear market. You can look at the the S&P. It made its peak in the first week of January. The Nasdaq made its peak in the first first and second week of November. The Nikkei made its peak in the second and third week of November. The, the Euro stocks 50 made its peak in the third and fourth week of November. The Russell made its peak in the first week of November. November was a very important period of time, and the fact that we had an outside reversal week in the, on the S&P and, and the NASDAQ tells you that a bear market has begun. So it has, a, I think, some distance to go on the downside, probably between 10 and 12, 10 to 15 percent from the highs that were made uh, back uh, eight, nine weeks ago. So be careful out there. I think it's ugly. You've got the problem with the attack on, in Yemen, uh, excuse me, in the UAE by the Houthis. You have problems politically in the U.K. this morning. You have the president of the United States's uh, support ratings are at all-time lows. Things are not uh, things are not pretty. Things are getting ugly, and be careful. And there's a lot of focus, of course, on what the Fed is doing right now, the possibility yes. of a March rate hike. What's your expectation on what the Fed is going to do this year? How many rate hikes are you pricing in right now? I think there'll be at least four, and I think that most people have anticipated only three and maybe 25 basis points. I think there'll be four. And one of them will probably be at least 50 basis points. So I think the Fed is going to, there's no question the Fed is on a tightening circumstance. It needs to be. It has overstayed its welcome as far as expansionary monetary policies are concerned. Now they have to become contractionary. They will end up, QE will be done by the middle of March. And uh, at least four increases in the overnight Fed funds rate before the end of the year. And, and probably at least 100 basis points before it's done. Are you expecting balance sheet unwind in the middle of all that? I think they'll let old, old securities that they've held for a period of time roll off, so that will be the, the way that they will allow the balance sheet to decline. It needs to. The fact that we've taken it from $800 billion to, what, uh, $8.2 trillion is, is just almost inexplicable, certainly inflationary, has to be run down, and they'll do it by allowing old securities to run off. It'll be, they won't sell anything, I don't think. I certainly hope they don't. That would be terribly bearish, but they'll allow old securities to roll off, and that's the way the balance sheet will decline over time. It'll take several years for it to get back to a more reasonable level, but they need to allow it to do that, precisely that. So give it, give it some time, but the Fed has stopped the, the monetary expansion and has now become monetarily contractionary over the course of the next six months to a year. If we do start to see a more hawkish Fed uh, take hold here, what could that mean for U.S. GDP going forward? Well, I think GDP is probably going to be surprisingly strong, even though the Fed will be tightening monetary policy. There's still a lot of pent-up demand. Uh, consumer balance sheets are, are as, as, as decently constructed as we've seen in years and years. A lot of savings, the savings rate has been extraordinarily high. So I think GDP will be surprisingly strong, even as the Fed begins to tighten. But that'll be a year from now. We'll probably be in recessionary circumstances. But for the next 12 months or so, 
GDP will probably be a little higher than people had anticipated. In our last minute here with all these crosswinds, what are you doing with the endowment at the University of Akron? We've done two major things. We've taken out two years of, of required spending and put it on the sidelines. Ten percent of the fund has been taken out of the stock market. I think that's been we've been very fortunate. And a year ago, we took three percent of the fund out uh, out of equities and put it into gold. So we've become far more conservative, far less exposed to the equities market. And if I had my way, if I if if it was just a one person vote, I'd I'd be selling a few more shares here. But I have to make sure that my committee follows behind what I want to do. So we have we have insulated 10% of our portfolio away from the stock market and and put 3% of it into gold. And I'm comfortable with that. All right, Dennis, as always, thank you. Good talking with you this morning. Dennis Gartman is chairman of the University of Akron Endowment Investment Committee, former publisher of the Gartman Letter. Taking a look at the markets this morning, the sell-off continues with S&P futures down 50 points, Dow futures down 251, NASDAQ futures lower by 258 points. The 10-year Treasury is down 10.30 seconds, the yield 1.81%. The yield on the two-year, 1.03%. Stay with us. You're listening to Bloomberg Daybreak. Brought to you by the Breakers. This winter, a warm welcome awaits you. The Breakers is committed to making your stay even better with exceptional experiences, gracious service, and unparalleled seaside glamour. To learn more, visit thebreakers.com today. Broadcasting live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in New York. Bloomberg 1130. To Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 991. To Boston. Bloomberg 1061. To San Francisco. Bloomberg 960. To the country. Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe. The Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. It's 5.30 on Wall Street. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. We're just about four hours away from the open of U.S. trading. Let's get you up to date on the news you need to know at this hour. Stocks falling. Treasury yields are climbing to begin the week. And we get the details live with Bloomberg's John Tucker. John. And good morning, Karen. Markets pricing a more aggressive rate hike path for the Fed. It looks to stomp out inflation. Two-year Treasury yields soaring above 1% for the first time since 2020. Higher rates mean future company profits are worth less, and that's hurting growth stocks. Right now, Vasdek futures down 1.6%. J.P. Morgan's fixed income chief, Bob Michael, has been warning stock bulls not to believe the central bank will meet every market hiccup with easier policy. Live in New York, I'm John Tucker, Bloomberg Radio. All right, John, thanks. Meantime, oil's extending its gains, hitting the highest level in more than seven years. Geopolitical tensions in the Middle East and easing concerns about the pandemic are being cited for the surge. Checking oil right now, NYMEX crude's up 1.7% up $1.46 at $85.29 a barrel. Brent crude's up 1.3% at $87.60. Nathan, fourth quarter earnings season kicks into high gear this week. And Goldman Sachs reports this morning we get more from Bloomberg's Larry Kofsky. Goldman's investment banking fee strength will be a highlight, according to Bloomberg Intelligence. Trading revenue should be solid, with equities doing better relative to fixed income compared to a year ago. Costs, especially compensation trends, will help gauge the profitability outlook for 2022. Larry Kofsky, Bloomberg Daybreak. 
All right, Larry, thank you. Turning to the pandemic now, we're getting early results from a study in Israel involving a fourth vaccine dose. Let's get the latest live from Bloomberg's Renita Young. Good morning, Renita. Good morning, Nathan. A trial in Israel shows that a fourth dose of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine only offered partial defense against the Omicron variant. And overall, the lead researcher says shots which were more effective against previous strains offered less protection with Omicron. But it's worth noting that those in the study had only slight symptoms or none at all. Now, Israel started rolling out a fourth dose to some residents back in December, but the lead researcher says results did not support a wider rollout to the whole population. Live in New York, I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Daybreak. Renita, thank you. Another story we're watching has the pending rollout of 5G service hitting fresh roadblocks. U.S. airlines are warning of catastrophic disruptions from tomorrow's scheduled deployment of 5G wireless service. A trade organization urged government regulators to prevent 5G from being implemented within two miles of anywhere aircraft fly. Straight ahead, your latest local headlines plus a check of sports. And this is Bloomberg. Thanks, Karen. It's 533 on Wall Street. We're at 31 degrees in Central Park. We've got an accident on the West Side Highway, southbound at 57th. Details coming up in traffic. First, Michael Barr back with us with more on what's going on in New York and around the world. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Nathan. Police in New York City say the man accused of killing a woman by pushing her into the path of a subway is expected to be arraigned. Marshal Simon is homeless and emotionally disturbed and under police guard at a hospital for killing 40-year-old Michelle Goh Saturday morning in the Times Square subway station. Goh did volunteer work to help the homeless. New York Junior League President Dana Cassidy said Goh had a passion for working with the homeless. She is a very compassionate soul who wanted to be rewarded by that direct impact and directly working with those individuals. Junior League President Cassidy says Go was also a consultant with a management firm. New York City Mayor Eric Adams is enjoying high favorability rates in his first couple of weeks in office. According to a new Siena poll out today, overall 63% of city residents have a positive impression of the former police captain. Senators are returning to Washington under intense pressure to pass voting legislation in the face of stark criticism from civil rights leaders. The Senate is set to launch debate today after civil rights leaders implored them to change the rules and break a Republican-led filibuster that has stalled the voting rights bill. Athletes heading to the Olympics next month are being warned about the security of their cell phones. Bloomberg's Ed Baxter reports. The athletes are being told that the Great Firewall will be partially disabled inside their Olympic bubble and they will have access to Facebook and YouTube. But along with that, the U.S. and allies are warning that some companies it accuses of installing spyware and malware already are Olympic sponsors and that they could spy and affect phone usage in the future. Larry Diamond, senior fellow at the Hoover Institution, suggests buying a cheap burner phone to use and leaving the expensive smartphones at home. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Daybreak. Global news, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries, I'm Michael Barr, and this is Bloomberg Nathan. All right, Michael, thank you. 
535 on Wall Street. Time for the Bloomberg Sports Update with John Stashauer. Thanks, Nathan. First ever Monday night playoff game. Not much of a game. The fourth blowout of Wild Card Weekend. Home teams went 5-1 and one in L.A. Site of next month's Super Bowl. Rams beat the slumping Cardinals. Matthew Stafford's first career playoff victory. Threw for two touchdowns for Kyler Murray. Two interceptions. One was costly. Ready to call for it. Three to his right. Takes the snap. Sets the laces. Bounces in the pocket. Hit from behind. Flips it forward. It is intercepted. Intercepted. A pick six. David Long Jr. Plucks it at the one. He's got an interception return for a touchdown. Men's radio had it. L.A. won 34-11. Held Arizona to just 183 yards of offense. The Cardinals began the year 7-0 just last month. They were an NFL best 10-2. They finished going 1-5. The Rams advance play Sunday at Tampa Bay. The Raiders fired general manager Mike Mayock, not known about Rich Versaccia, who finished the season as the interim coach. The Cowboys say they have no plans to fire Mike McCarthy despite the playoff loss for the 49ers. MLK matinee at the guard, one of the Knicks' worst performances. Trailed Charlotte by 18 at the half. Hornets won 97-87 as Miles Bridges scored a career-high 38 points. Knicks Missed 10 free throws, had 15 turnovers. They're home again tonight to play Minnesota. Nets began life without the injured Kevin Durant. Lost in Cleveland, 114-107. Kyrie Irving led Brooklyn with 27. Nets are playing a lot of road games now, and those are the only games Irving can play. They're in Washington tomorrow. Islanders beat Philadelphia 4-1 to get to within a game of 500. And San Jose, a club record five goals for the Sharks' Timo Meyer. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports, Nathan. John, thanks. It's 537 on Wall Street. Time for the Tri-State Business Report with Bloomberg's Ed Corey. New Jersey took in $1.6 billion in revenue from a tax break crafted to ease the pain of the $10,000 federal cap on individuals' deductions for state and local taxes. Tax collections from the pass-through business alternative income tax rose 61% over the previous December. Meanwhile, Connecticut's governor and attorney general have asked the U.S. Supreme Court to hear the appeal of Connecticut and other states. They claim it's unconstitutional for the federal tax code to limit the annual deductibility of state and local taxes to 10000 bucks. Some elected officials in New York are pushing for a new law. It would require federally funded housing developments to install sensors that would detect when the heat goes out in a unit. The move follows a deadly Bronx blaze that was sparked by a space heater at a property owned by a consortium called Bronx Park Phase 3 Preservation. That's your Bloomberg Tri-State Business Report. I'm Ed Corey. Thanks, Ed. It's 538 on Wall Street. Bloomberg Radio is on the air from San Francisco to New York, London to Hong Kong. Let's check in with our global news team for some of the top stories heard on our 300 affiliate radio stations around the world. Steve Potus and on KNX in Los Angeles, we're talking about the Union Pacific Railroad thinking about avoiding L.A. after a rise of cargo theft in the area. I'm Courtney Donahoe on WHAS in Louisville. Toyota's cutting its February production by around 20% on chip shortages. I'm Caroline Hepgold, Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio in London. We're reporting that the U.K. is on track to be the first major economy to move beyond the pandemic with jobs figures today showing a surge in hiring and vacancies. I'm Ed Corey on WTAM in Cleveland. I'm reporting a new coalition that's aimed at recycling vinyl siding. Getting started in Northeast Ohio. Those are some of the stories our 2,700 Bloomberg journalists and analysts are working on this morning around the world. It's 539 on Wall Street. The following is an editorial from Bloomberg Opinion. This editorial was written by the Bloomberg Editorial Board. 
President Joe Biden has finally settled on a candidate for one of the biggest jobs in global finance, the vice chair for bank supervision at the Federal Reserve. The nominee, Sarah Bloom Raskin, is a good choice for what will be a challenging assignment. Raskin was Maryland's top financial regulator before joining the Federal Reserve, where from 2010 to 2014 she helped draft rules to implement the Dodd-Frank reform legislation. She also served as second-in-command at the Treasury, where she focused on issues including financial infrastructure and cybersecurity, relevant in an age of cryptocurrency and state-sponsored hacks. As vice chair, Raskin will face a particularly daunting task, rebuilding financial safeguards that were weakened under her predecessor. Fortunately, her record suggests she's up to the challenge. The Senate should let her get to work without delay. This editorial was written by the Bloomberg Editorial Board. For more Bloomberg Opinion, please go to Bloomberg.com slash opinion or OPIN Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg Opinion. You can hear Bloomberg Opinion editorials every weekday at this time, and Terminal customers can read more at OPIN Go. Right now, S&P futures are down 52 points. Dow futures down 259. NASDAQ futures down 278 points. The 10-year Treasury yield 1.81%. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg 1130 weather, sunny, breezy, high near 35 today, mid-40s tomorrow with a wintry mess tomorrow night. It'll end early Thursday and turn partly sunny with highs in the mid-30s, currently 31 in Central Park. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business App, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. Stocks are falling along with U.S. stock index futures amid a jump in global bond yields as investors prepare for the removal of central bank support. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P futures down 53 points. Dow futures down 263. NASDAQ futures down 280. That's one down 1.8%. The DAX in Germany is down 1.2%. Ten-year Treasury down 732 seconds. Yield 1.81%. The yield on the two-year, 1.03%. NYMEX crude oil is up 1.8% of $1.48 at $85.30 a barrel. COMEX gold down 4 tenths percent or $7.10 at $18.09.40 an ounce. The euro, 1.1392 against the dollar. British pound, 1.3617. The yen's at 114.66. And Bitcoin is at $42,000. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael. Karen, thank you very much. Later today. Today, Senate Democrats will force a vote on the right to vote in every state, even though the final bill will likely fail. Since the 2020 election, 19 states have passed 34 bills restricting access to voting. A fourth dose of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine was insufficient to prevent infection with the Omicron variant of COVID-19. That's according to preliminary data from a trial in Israel. In the NFL, the Rams rolled over the Cardinals 34-11. So now here's the breakdown for the divisional round playoffs. In the NFC, the Rams face Tampa Bay. Green Bay hosts the 49ers. In the AFC, the Bengals are at the Titans. The Bills are at the Chiefs. NBA action, the Knicks and Nets lost. The Celtics and Wizards won. NHL, the Islanders won. Global News, 24 hours a day, on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts from more than 120 countries. 
I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg. Nathan. Thank you, Michael. It's 549 on Wall Street, live from the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studios. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. As earnings season rolls along, we heard the fir- from the first three of the big six Wall Street banks last Friday. In just about an hour or two, Goldman Sachs opens up its fourth quarter books. Here now with a preview is Bloomberg Global Financial Correspondent Shanali Basic back with us this morning. So I think we can say it was kind of a mixed picture from the first three on Friday. How does that inform what we could get from Goldman today? It was a mixed picture, and it's mostly because the consumer banks, the loans are not growing as fast as anyone would have hoped or wanted. But remember, Goldman Sachs is a major investment bank. So how do we stack that up? At J.P. Morgan and Citigroup, fixed income expectations felt slightly below expectations. That was for the real results for fixed income. But when I look at Wall Street's estimates now, they seem a little low for Goldman Sachs, given that we know that their commodities business bought in more than $2 billion. And that is already more than what people expect for the fixed income business. So heading into this earnings, expectations are fairly low for Goldman Sachs. So there's a lot of room for them to really beat expectations here and really also set us up for the rest of this year. Yeah, I was going to say the uh, news we got on the commodities space in particular from Goldman uh, raised a lot of eyebrows, I think. So what could that mean more broadly? Uh, for the trading desk at Goldman Sachs? Well, for one thing, it, we know that their traders will be rewarded quite generously this year. Their bonuses will look really good because they had such a banner year. So what does that mean as well? It means costs will go up a little bit for this year. What I know as well is that this is not a repeat type of thing. Bonuses uh, differ by year. So next year, it doesn't mean that these costs will continue to go up. Uh, and getting a handle on what Goldman's costs look like in the longer term will be important, especially as they have a lot of room. They've been doing enormously well in the last year or two, and their profitability has been the best it's been in years. So they have a little bit of room to increase expenses if they want to. Yeah, it'll be interesting also to hear uh, how much the cost picture tends to be a big deal for them going forward, given what we heard last Friday from the uh, CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, Jamie Dimon, that uh, costs could be an issue for them uh, for the long haul. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And Jamie Dimon was really setting the tone and saying, expect profitability to be in a certain range. And that range is a little bit less than it was the last couple of years. It really gives Goldman a lot of wiggle room to create the same sort of discipline with investors and say, hey, we want to invest. This is what it's going to cost us. And you should be used to that if you want us to be competitive. And talking about the investment banking fees, so much of the picture being what that is for Goldman Sachs, uh, how much of the market share do they get from uh, underwriting investment banking compared to the other banks? Well, one of the most important areas is mergers and acquisitions because it creates a lot of other business for the banks, such as debt underwriting, you know, uh, underwriting the loans that can help support those mergers. Goldman has more than 24% of the M&A share last year. And For five years in a row, Goldman has been number one in mergers and acquisitions. They also last year were number one in equity underwriting. And we should see those fees start to show up in this quarter and upcoming quarters for deal making as they collect the fees from clients. It's, uh, we'll want to see what they say about their pipelines. What does it look like moving forward now that we're in kind of a more uncertain environment? So far, as far as Omicron goes, we've had pretty confident, sanguine notes 
played from the prior executives that we've heard from, J.P. Morgan Citigroup, Wells Fargo. So we'll want to hear that same sort of optimism from Goldman Sachs. Just about 30 seconds left here, but are we expecting reserve releases to be a big part of Goldman's story? Their consumer business is still a very small part of what they do relative to the whole bank. But with that said, we want to hear about how they are growing, but reserves are not really anymore a big boon to the profitability for these banks. All right. Bloomberg's Shanali Basic, our global financial correspondent, keeping an eye on bank earnings for us. And we will get those results. We're expecting them around 7.30 a.m. Wall Street time from Goldman Sachs. We'll have full coverage for you here on Bloomberg Radio. Karen. Nathan, it's 5.53 on Wall Street. Time for our Bloomberg Law Report. Let's get to the legal stories we're watching this morning from Bloomberg's Jeff Bellinger. Medical facilities in two dozen states affected by the Supreme Court decision on the Biden administration's vaccine mandate for health care workers have until March 15th to get their employees fully vaccinated. The Biden administration is appealing a federal court's block on the health worker vaccine mandate in Texas. The Federal Communications Commission finalized the rules for the Affordable Connectivity Program to help low-income households pay their Internet bills and obtain computers. Bloomberg Law. Everything you need, all on one legal research platform, including guidance, analysis, and Bloomberg Market Intelligence. Find out more at BloombergLaw.com. All right, Jeff, thank you. Now another legal story we're watching brings us to Netflix. The company's docuseries Tiger King drew millions of viewers during the early days of the pandemic. In its first episode, producers used clips of Jim Carrey from the movie Ace Ventura 2, one with Carrey riding an elephant and another with a monkey on his shoulder. Now the producers of Ace Ventura are suing Netflix and Good Films for copyright infringement. For more on the case, Bloomberg's June Grosso speaks to Terrence Ross of Catamuchin Rosenman. Terry, it's two clips without the audio. The lawsuit says five seconds, but it's really more like one and a half seconds. The average person might ask why there should be compensation for that. It's an excellent point, and it's why this exact same situation comes up over and over again, particularly in the context of documentaries. The typical maker of a documentary or television show such as Tiger King is not trained in copyright law and has the same reaction as your man on the street does to this situation that it's really short and they ought to be able to use it. And that presents a recurring problem in this area. What would the legal analysis be here? The unfortunate tendency that most folks have is to immediately and almost like a knee-jerk reflex turn to the fair use doctrine and say, well, this is a short snippet, and we're using it in a transformative way, and therefore fair use would apply. And my advice to the clients coming to me with this problem has always been your first line of defense should be the so-called de minimis use defense. This is a defense that was established by the Second Circuit, which is the premier federal appellate court for copyright law, a number of years ago in a case called Sandoval versus New Line Cinema. This rose out of the movie Seven. The production company used real photographs by the sort of famous photographer Jorge Sandoval, and Sandoval sued for copyright infringement. And the total amount of time that you see these photographs is maybe 30 seconds. And the Second Circuit said this is not copyright infringement. They said that there is a de minimis use test 
for copyright infringement. And if you use just a, a tiny second of a copyright work, that that does not constitute copyright infringement. And you never get into the complexities of the fair use defense. So do you think that's a winning defense in the Tiger King case? Here in the Tiger King, I think I, that's particularly true. As you said, Jim, the lawsuit alleges it's five seconds out of the film Ace Ventura 2. When you actually look at it on the screen, it's probably more like two seconds. Well, that's a lot less than the 30 seconds that Sandoval's photographs were on the screen in the movie 7. And it seems to me that that's really the defense that should be applicable here. And that's Terrence Ross of Cat and Mugen Rosenman speaking with Bloomberg's June Grasso. Catch more of that interview plus analysis of the latest legal news by listening to the Bloomberg Law Show at 10 p.m. Eastern Time or subscribing to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. And attorneys can find exceptional legal research and business development tools at BloombergLaw.com. Again, futures are falling this morning and ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak. We have a check on the business headlines and all the news you need to start your day. And this is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.